Welcome to Pocket Therapist. I'm Dr. Adam Moore, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this podcast is about how words and language can alter the course of your relationships. Have you ever had the experience of starting a conversation and just having it totally bomb? I'm going to help you rewind and use the power of language to get people to pay attention to you, to have real influence with others, to say things in a powerful but healthy way, and change the way people perceive you and what's important to you so you can have the relationships you want. Let's get going. Milton Erickson is arguably one of the most influential and important hypnotherapists of all time. Maybe one of the most important any kind of therapist of all time. His approach to therapy was so influential that it spawned dozens of books and more than a few approaches to counseling and therapy. Stories of Erickson's therapeutic interventions are fascinating and even legendary. There was once a woman who was depressed and threatening suicide. As the story goes, Erickson discovered that she fancied a man who worked with her, but she didn't have the guts to talk to him. The woman self-reported that her biggest physical flaw was a gap between her two front teeth. In a way that only Erickson could do, he invited her, before she took her own life, to spend the remainder of her savings on herself, going to a beauty salon and buying herself a new wardrobe. Erickson then asked her to train herself to shoot water from her mouth through the gap in her teeth to the distance of six feet. Once she had developed this skill, Erickson invited her to wait by the water fountain at work until the young man approached to get a drink. She was then to spit water at him through her teeth, run toward him, and then turn and run down the hall. And so she did. The man chased her down the hall, and when he caught up to her, they kissed, and within a few months, they were married. About a year later, the woman sent Erickson a picture of the couple's first child. Milton Erickson knew something about human psychology, that often a direct approach or appeal will be met with fierce rejection, that people's mental defenses against change can repel even the most sincere, direct requests for change. Ostensibly, no one up until that point, including the woman herself, had been able to convince her to spare her own life. Erickson's unique approach got her to behave in a way that bypassed her normal way of thinking and changed her life. Now, for the record, this isn't the kind of thing that any of us would necessarily try at home, so to speak. People who are suicidal need a much more serious intervention in most cases and much more care and concern. I use this story to illustrate a point, however, about unique approaches to persuading people to behave differently. Most of my clients come to therapy already knowing what they want to change about their lives, and they usually have some reasonable idea of how the change is supposed to happen. But they still can't seem to make the change. And it seems that sometimes the harder people try to help or convince them to make the necessary changes, the more obstinate they become against any change at all. In fact, one of my colleagues, Dan Solon, often says that most of therapy is just trying to help people figure out why they can't seem to do what they want to do. Today, I want to share two techniques I use to bypass people's mental defenses. It makes trying to help people so much easier and, frankly, more fun, at least for me. First, the brief parable technique. Aesop and Jesus are two names that come to mind when we think of fables or parables. Parables are short stories meant to teach a moral or ethical principle. The stories use common, everyday concepts that can subtly mask the moral of the story. I think parables are pretty cool. There's something about them that allows you to make a point without having to defend the point, 
because the meaning isn't explicit. It's implicit in the story. People can dismiss your opinion, but a parable just sort of sits there making its point without trying too hard. It reminds me of the movie The Matrix, when Neo meets Morpheus for the first time. Morpheus tells Neo, You've felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. A well-thought-out parable can produce that very splinter in the mind. I was once talking to a friend of mine, and he was complaining about his wife and how he was struggling to find happiness in his marriage. So I decided to tell him a little story. This is what I said. Once there was a man who was walking through the desert. He was so thirsty, he felt like he would die at any moment. Suddenly, he thought he saw an oasis where he could find water. As he approached the oasis, he discovered it was only a mirage. So he searched more vigorously and found another oasis, which turned out to be yet another mirage. As he traveled to a third oasis, he fell over and died. When his body was discovered, the search party found a canteen full of cool, clean water around his neck. After I told the story, I quickly changed the subject. My friend laughed nervously, not sure why I had told him the story, and we moved on. But then the next time I saw him, the first thing he asked was, Why did you tell me that story? What story, I asked, feigning innocence. The story about the guy in the desert and the mirages, why did you tell me that? I thought it might help, I said. He then said, I went to my car after we were done talking, and I thought, well, that was a stupid story, and I decided to ignore it entirely. And then you know what? I couldn't stop thinking about it the whole rest of the day. What was I supposed to get from it? I said, I don't know. What did you get from it? He said, I think it means that I already have with me what I need to be happy, and I'm wasting my time looking somewhere else. Is that right? I just said, hmm... That sounds pretty good to me. This method takes a little practice, my friends. You may have to try some parables out on your own, learning how to craft them. The basic principle is that the story should have elements connected to the person's life, but be unique enough that it's not 100% obvious that it's about them. Here's another example. Let's say you have a friend who's constantly trying to pressure you to hurry up and make a decision about something you've been thinking about maybe taking a new job or making a significant change in your relationship. For whatever reason, your friend can't seem to handle the fact that you're taking your time on the decision. You could tell this story. There once was a little girl who had to make a very difficult decision. She had to decide if she would cross a bridge and take a shortcut or go the long way around and risk getting home after dark. A little frog on the side of the road croaked, just decide already. And nervous to upset the frog, the little girl crossed the bridge without thinking. Suddenly, a troll jumped out from under the bridge and ate her. The end. I can pretty much guarantee you that friend will never ask you to hurry up your decision-making ever again. No one wants to be a croaking frog, and your friend would never want you to be eaten by a troll. Here's the second technique. Describing future states. This is kind of a complicated way of saying that you're going to allow the person you're talking to to imagine something happening in the future that looks like them changing or things getting better or becoming different. This lines up with a well-researched technique called mental rehearsal. The most popular study I'm aware of that people cite when they talk about mental rehearsal is one about basketball free throw shooting. University of Chicago researchers compared three groups of people who were practicing making free throws. One group actually practiced free throws an hour a day. 
Another group just visualized making free throws without actually touching a basketball, and the third group did nothing. The group that practiced actual free throws improved 24% in their free throw abilities. The group that only thought about making free throws actually improved by 23%, and they weren't even touching an actual basketball. The third group did not improve. Another study looked at high jumpers and found that they could improve their high jumping ability by 35 to 45% by just going through mental rehearsal techniques about high jumping. The power of mental imagery cannot be understated, and we can use this to great effect when we're trying to help people imagine a future where their behavior is changed. And we can do it in a way that can often bypass people's mental defenses. Remember, people who are stuck sometimes have a vested interest in staying stuck. So telling them to get unstuck often doesn't work very well. Let me show you how I do this in therapy. I work pretty extensively with people who compulsively use pornography and can't stop despite major consequences in their lives. I might say something like this. Not long from now, you will surprise yourself by being confronted with an opportunity to return to pornography. And yet, there you'll be at the decision point, and you'll be amazed to see yourself turning away and making a different decision. It will shock you because it's not what you normally do. And of course, at that moment, you will realize that you are much more capable of change than you had previously understood. Now, there's a lot going on here in this little statement, more than I can explain in today's episode. But for now, notice just two things. First, I mentioned a future state in which the person was successful at choosing to turn away from pornography. You would be amazed at how soon people come back to therapy after that dialogue with a fascinating success story to share. The second thing there is that I make meaning out of the success. You will realize that you are much more capable of change. I've predicted not only a future behavior, but the actual meaning of the behavior before it happened. That way, when it happens, the meaning that I attached to the behavior shows up in the brain. Because if I don't do that, it's easy for the person to say, well, it was just lucky, it was a fluke. That won't happen again. I won't be that successful in the future. But I preempted that logic by telling them that the behavior change means that they're capable of long-term change. This type of mental rehearsal, if we slow down and share enough details about how the change happens and what they'll notice and whatnot, can actually influence a person's ability to make a different choice the next time they're confronted with the decision. All of that without actually challenging their thinking at all, effectively bypassing their mental defenses. My friends, I thank you as always for listening to the podcast. I look at the statistics and I'm seeing that people are actually listening. That is so cool. Thank you so much to the 25 people who have left reviews so far, by the way. It means more than you know. Until next time.